Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And here we are. We've definitely been on the road this week between Salt Lake City and Southern Utah. The real road. You know, usually we use that as a metaphor because we're usually on airplanes flying hither and yon, but this time the road is not a metaphor. It's a real road driving around back and forth in different parts of the great state of Utah. You know, and I I don't want to make you people who don't live in Utah feel jealous, but when you're driving around Utah in the fall, it is such an incredible state. We've been down in the Red Rock country, down around Zion and Bryce and Cedar Breaks Monument, and we've been up through the beautiful verdant farmland of central Utah. We've been up in We're in Park City now where the autumn is just breathtaking. Uh, Here's my theory. I think Brigham Young, you know, he sent people out all over so he knew where all the good stuff was. And he, uh, he drew the boundaries of the original state, which was called the state of Deseret, in such a way that he'd get a little of everything. He had the Alpine Mountains. He had the Red Rock Desert. He had the farmland in between. And he even had... A little bit of beach because the original state of Deseret kind of gerrymandered out and took in a little bit of the California coast, I think, around Santa Barbara. So Brigham Young knew what he was doing. And even when they cut it back from the state of Deseret to the state of Utah, boy, they kept all the good stuff. Is there a state in the country with more variety and beauty and Utah, Linda, I don't know, or am I just, do I just like wherever I happen to be at the moment? I don't know, but wow, part of it is that it's autumn, and we love the autumn. The leaves are just ablaze at our house today with the sun backlighting them, and oh my gosh, it's gorgeous. Wherever you drive, we went on a horse ride um, that was absolutely spectacular up in a canyon near Kolob Canyon, but not quite there, up in Canaraville, and it was absolutely spectacular, absolutely beautiful. Do you think one reason we like autumn so much is because it's when my birthday comes, or do you think that's just purely incidental? (laughs) (laughs) Why we like autumn, that is hilarious. Well, you know, we used to have, we've mentioned this on the show before, we had a birthday tradition while the kids were growing up for every one of our birthdays, and mine was jumping in autumn leaves. And boy, did that tradition ever become a big deal. And then the kids still do it. Wherever they are, they live all over the world now. And our grandkids send us little notes. We celebrated your tradition, Grandfather. We jumped in the autumn leaves today. And Some of them have a hard time. Like the ones in Hawaii, they can't really find autumn leaves, but they they rake up a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, pomegranate leaves or papayas, whatever they can find. I remember one year, Noah, when he was attending BYU-Hawaii, he sent a coconut. He said, I just can't find any autumn leaves, but he just put our address on it. No, he put our address (laughs) on the coconut and sent it in the mail. Yeah, did Um, you know you can mail a coconut? How do you get the stamps to stick on? I can't remember. I don't remember. (laughs) But um, anyway, it's it's really a glorious time of year wherever you are. I mean, I know that those of you who may be in Florida or Texas may not have quite the autumn that we see here, but it is so beautiful. And you in New England are saying, ah, your your autumn is nothing compared to ours. So well, except that we just got an Instagram yesterday from Hawaii. 
and the pumpkin patch is incredible. It's it's more than anything I've ever seen. We've been all over the south <laughs> in the autumn and t- tons of pumpkin patches, but that was amazing. Yeah, that really was. Well, enough with the preliminaries. Today we want to talk about what might be, I, I think you could argue, Linda, that our subject matter today is the single most important and maybe the most worried about facet of family living, and we're talking about the C word, communication. Communication, don't you sometimes think if you had a magic wand as a parent or as a marriage partner or even as a grandparent, if you had a little magic wand you could wave and it would suddenly help everyone to communicate clearly and honestly and emotionally, all the problems that families have would dissolve because so many of them are rooted in bad communication or non-communication or communication that doesn't really happen consistently. We go to movies all the time and we watch people and we're like, why don't they just talk to each other? Why don't they just tell each other what's on their mind? Why don't they just communicate? I was just going to say that, honestly. It's so frustrating to go to these movies who they spend millions of dollars producing and the whole problem is nobody's talking to each other and then people commit suicide and they do all kinds of horrible things to each other because they haven't talked to each other it really is quite amazing and when we and when we do our work with parents and families and we say what you know what's the biggest issue what are you worried about oh communication i just can't communicate with my teenager he won't tell me anything she she just doesn't, she's not open. I can't. I ask questions, they won't communicate. And, you know, it's like it's this big, long word, communication, which ought to be the solution for everything, but turns out more often than not to be the problem. Why do you suppose that is? Why is it that we can't communicate more clearly and more honestly and more consistently with the very people we love the most. That's, well, what, that's what we get a lot. People say, I can communicate with my friends, I can talk to my buddies, I, I can talk to my associates at work, but at home, we just can't seem to communicate. Well, I think part of it is our own family baggage, how well you communicated at in your own house. And uh, it really, I mean, it's not necessarily it has to follow through. In fact, people who take the big right-angle turn and say, this is not going to happen in my house are, you know, kudos to them. They are amazing heroes. But it really does make a big difference how you communicate it. And interestingly, I thought that my my dad, who is my hero, is very a quiet giant, a farmer, a hard worker his whole life, and just was so quiet and did not say very much. In fact, he lived with a very uh, proactive uh, type A wife, and sometimes I wished that he would say, no, Hazel, no, we're not going to do that. But no, it, it, he was very quiet, and I thought that was so admirable that it, you got, it took several years for you to train me, and then you trained me so well that you wish you'd never done it. Now, Linda, you just communicate too much. Could you just tone it down a little? Could you just be a little more stoic <laughs> like your father was? <laughs> no, the toning down is the important part. I mean, really, finally I got so that I could really blast you a good one. Well, you, when you think about it, let's, let's dissect the word communication for a minute. People, people say, that's what I want. I want better communication with my husband. I want better communication with my teenager. I want better communication with my kids as though it was some sort of 
<clears throat> seasoning that you just sprinkle over your family or some sort of music that you can just put on on the stereo and 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 instead what we suggest what we're going to try to talk about today is how communication should be thought of as a goal a fairly difficult goal but a very worthy goal and something that you have to work on and something that you have to have a plan for let's just start out with the assumption that good open consistent communication isn't something that just happens you need you need to plan times for it to happen you need to schedule certain meetings or gatherings or places that it'll happen you need to have a strategy for how to get your kids to talk to you this is not something that just falls off of a tree and comes easily and maybe the best place to start let me just pose a question and and let people think about it for a minute and then we'll try to share what uh what we think part of the answer is when is the best time to communicate with kids you're a parent You've got kids, they go to school, maybe some of them are still preschoolers or whatever, but but, but when do you think is the time when they will most communicate with you? And and a lot of people would say, well, when they come home from school. I should sort of be there and say, how did your day go today? Tell me about your day, what happened, and uh, I want to communicate now. And more often than not, the answer is fine, it went fine, I'm tired, I need to go to my room, or whatever. So I'm not sure that's the best time. Let me throw it at you, Linda. When do you think is the most, let's start with the when. We're going to move through the when question, then sort of the what, what do we need to communicate about, and then maybe the more important question, how do you do it? But starting with the when, when do you think kids will open up the most and, and talk the most freely? Um, in the car. I, I think we've had better conversations in the car than anywhere else. And then it got so complicated, though, because it was always carpools, so there are always other people in the car. And, uh, and still, even that is a good time to listen in. In fact, I'll never forget the day we were coming home from junior high, and there were three girls in the back and one in the front by me, and one of the girls turned to the other, and one of them was our daughter, and said, um, I mean, the, our daughter was not a part of this conversation, but the other one said, you know, is Amy going to tell her mom that she's pregnant today? <laughs> and I just about died, like, oh, my gosh, who is pregnant? Oh, my gosh, this they, is they kind terrible. Of forgot, they kind of forgot you were there they driving the car. They kind of forgot, and yeah. And, and they, I don't know, they thought they were so far away in the back seat, I guess, that I couldn't hear what was going on, and I was dying. Yeah, the other one, yes, I think, I think she is. Today's the day she said she was going to. Well, then I get home, and the last person out is my daughter. I said, Saren, who is pregnant? And she said, Mom, it's a soap opera. They were talking about a TV show, thank goodness. (laughs) They were going to go look at their soap opera, and we have never seen a soap opera at our house, and so we didn't know what was going on. But still, I mean, I learned a lot from that. Kids do go home and watch soap operas, and interestingly, the stories are not always the most uh, wonderful stories you want them to hear. Let me just say, Linda, so Linda would always say, I learn more in the car than any other place. That's where I really, really communicate with kids. That's where I learn what's going on. I would always have said, 
bedtimes. I wasn't I didn't wasn't there to drive the carpools as much as Linda was, although I did my share. But my favorite time for communication with our kids uh, of all ages, really, when I think about it, was tucking them into bed at night because there's something about the later it is, the more a kid will tell you. that There's a, a question you could ask in the middle of the day and you wouldn't get the time of day, but if you ask it at night when things are relaxed and a little quieter, it's amazing how much kids will open up. So we're going to we're going to go way beyond the question of when. We're going to get into some of the hows and try to throw out some thinking points on how do we create this wonderful magic bullet of communication which can make everything go better in a family. Let's take a brief break and be thinking about communication within families and we'll be right back on Iris on the Road. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. We're glad to be back with you. We're glad to be able to discuss this incredible topic of communication. And Linda, we talked a little about when's the best time to communicate with kids. When, when's the best time to communicate with a spouse? That's where it begins. That's where the communication debacle really takes place what would be your thoughts on that one well you know when this the spouse is obviously the most important thing uh, because you've got to be on the same page and sometimes that is really really hard um knowing who i was married to um who i am married to it is really uh important to spend some time really talking as a couple and Richard is a Harvard Business School guy, and so he insists on everything being business terms. So every Sunday we have what we call an executive session. And uh, we get together just as a couple, the executives of our family, and we talk about, first of all, that we're on the same page on the schedule and so on, which really helps a lot because if we miss a week, I don't know what's going on and he doesn't know what's going on. But then we also talk about what issues we've got that week with the kids. And even though our kids are all gone, somebody's always got an issue. Uh, When people ask me how our kids are, I say everybody's fine except for the ones that are in crisis this week. (laughs) Because somebody's always got some kind of a crisis going on, some big and some small. I would say, I mean, just to kind of capsulize that, that the best luck we've had in our personal communication. Now, this doesn't... Uh, some people resent the idea, oh, you've got a set of meeting, you've got to have a certain time. They say, well, th- can't we just communicate all the time? And what we've found, not only with ourselves, but with people we work with all over the world, if you have a set time that you're going to communicate about certain things, then what that does is open communication doors so that communication happens better all the time, during the week, spontaneously, spur of the moment. And I think for us, I I would agree, Linda, that our Sunday session that we have every Sunday where we try to plan our week ahead and sort of review the week behind and these five facet reviews where at least once a month we talk about each of the kids, how so-and-so doing physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually, those kind of have been our anchors along with 
uh, one date each week, and, and we we uh, we were pretty religious about that early on when all the kids were there. That we had one night a week, in our case Fridays, when we would get a babysitter and we would go out just the two of us, and we would have a good date, a courtship style date and really communicate about things on a romantic and an emotional level. I think those three things, the weekly date, the weekly Sunday session, and then the monthly five-facet review kind of became our anchors, and they opened up areas of communication that sort of stayed open. It's like a door. You open the door of communication, and you keep it open by having regular times when you communicate. Then it's always open, and you're always communicating. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, maybe some people find that very difficult. I mean, I have had so many women say, my husband just doesn't talk. He wouldn't say anything. He doesn't talk. And uh, it really is pretty um, important to work around that, to figure what, out something that they can talk about and yeah, they feel do, comfortable with. We do hear that a lot. And I think I think guys more than men, more than women, Sometimes I hate to make it sound too businesslike, but sometimes you need an agenda. You need to say we want to. We need to talk about the following things. We need to talk about the kids. We need to talk about finances. We need to talk about intimacy. We need to talk about uh, faith. We need to talk about goals. You almost have to have categories where you say, "How do you feel about this, honey? How do you feel about this? What's going on here? Are we together on this?" If if it's just okay, let's communicate. And there's no subject matter. There's no there's no agenda. There's no list of things you want to at least see how each other's feeling on. Then you know uh, communication is is not is not going to happen on the level that you would like it to. Yeah, that's really true. But then going from there, I mean, that's maybe the hardest thing to work out in our lives is how to really communicate well with our spouse. You know, when you first get married, you think, oh, this is going to be so easy. But, boy, life gets so complicated when you start having children. And even when you don't, if you're just a young couple without children, it is just still complicated because usually both of them are still working and there's a lot going on in life. So you do have to carve out a, a specific time when you're going to sit down and talk about it. And, you know, I just want to reiterate that sometimes we, we focus more on uh, in some ways, on the communication with children than we do on the communication with each other. For example, we have a word called parenting, and parenting usually implies communication with children on various levels. We don't really have a verb to match that for marriage. We don't say marriaging. We don't say spousing. Uh, you know, we, 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 we sort of need to focus on the marriage part of it as something we're working at with a goal, with a schedule. And again, you know, we have family home evenings or we have daddy dates or we have these times we set aside to be with our kids. We certainly need to do that with our spouses if communication is really going to happen. Now, here, let me ask you just this question, Linda, and see, you might phrase it more simply than I. If you were to sort of say what is the main communications problem in families between parents and children in other words what is the biggest bugaboo what is the um what is it that that doesn't happen or that does happen that's not good in terms of parent to child communication i personally think it's empathy 
it is so hard to see through another person's eyes and see their point of view. And I think the more time we spend thinking, what could he be thinking or what could she be thinking, it really is important. I mean, teenagers are, have their whole a different world. They live in a different world. And we love our teenagers who are grandchildren. They're so awesome. But they do have funny uh, idiosyncrasies, as you know, those of you have teenagers. Um, and we didn't necessarily go through those those hard times, or we maybe we can't remember them. But it is so is so important to empathize with how they feel. I can see how you feel. Try to look through their eyes, whether it's a spouse or whether it's a child or whether it's a grandchild. Uh, okay, I would agree with that, and I would also say that there are in families between parents and children a lot of really bad habits. They include yeah. things like yelling at each other. They include things like interrupting each other. They include things like parents lecturing the kids. They include things like kids being disrespectful to their parents. And I want to tell you a quick story as we move toward the end of this show, and then we want to give you a special reference on a website that's going to help you with communication. We were uh, we had a wonderful publisher for many, many, many years in uh, – in uh, in New York City, we we were first with Random House, and then with Simon and Schuster, and then with McGraw Hill. And we were meeting with one of our publishers one day, and she said, "You know, what we need is a book to help parents communicate with their kids, and we want it to be a metaphorical book, a symbolic book. We don't want it to just be five rules for communication or ten better ways to get your kid to talk to you or whatever." And so we went we went back and thought about that and wrote what I personally think is one of our most interesting books. This is an author now telling you uh, listeners as readers that sort of his favorite book in in some ways. We wrote a book called The Book of Nurturing, which is essentially a a book of of a secret code that involves nine different animals that kids really like, and each of those animals represents something about good or bad communication. Let us give you two really brief examples. The first one has to do with whales, humpback whales. And in the book, you have a beautiful picture of these humpback whales, and then you tell the kids a story about how whales are interesting. The the way they communicate through a series of squeaks and sounds and what marine biologists call songs, they never interrupt. They always let one person finish. There's never any yelling. They always communicate in turn. And you tell them stories about how the whales eat together and swim together and so on. And then you say, we're going to have a secret code in our family that when anyone's interrupting or yelling or doing something in bad communication, we just say the word whale, and that reminds us of the big picture we've got in our living room of these whales, and that becomes our symbol that we need to communicate more like the whales. Linda, give give one other quick example, maybe of the crabs. Yeah, I we've had a lot of success with this one because this happens at our happened at our house all the time when our kids were little and now our grandchildren are going at it um we like to tell a story about if you go out on a beach and you want to catch some crabs you take a bucket out there and then we talk about how crabs walk i mean they're they're sideways are they slow or fast they're kind of fast especially if they're little anyway 
talk about catching a crab and putting it in the bucket. And then you say, if you go get another crab and you put it in the bucket, what's going to happen? And they try to guess what's going to happen. And what really actually does happen is that the crab has a claw and it reaches over the top of the bucket. And it just as it just about pulls itself up to get out, the other crab grabs his leg and pulls him down. I mean, it's like instinct. They can't help themselves. They just keep pulling each other down. And they do. They would pull each other down until they died because they couldn't stop. And so um, we like to use this as a metaphor for kids arguing all the time. I mean, pulling each other down, saying nasty things to each other. Kids say things to their siblings that they would never say to a friend or somebody outside the house. And it is so interesting to get that concept in their mind. Now, do you want to be a crab? Do you want to just be pulling somebody down? Or do we want to push people up and help them? Should we help them or not? And we give, I give the example of in the olden days when Sadie was practicing the violin, Jonah may have gone by and bashed her in the arm and made her screech, and he's saying, you suck, and um, oh my gosh, I, I'm thinking, you can't say that. Instead of grabbing him by the collar and saying, you can't say that, you just have to say one word, and that's crab. If you've had this little conversation with the kids, if you've given them this example, they know exactly what it means when you say crab, I'm pulling this person down, and what can I do maybe to push him up instead? It really is fun to see how this is internalized in families, and I think it really helps. I think that's one of the biggest problems in in homes is this constant bickering, arguing, and pulling each other down. So, so you get the idea. We're really rushing through this, but the idea is that you've got these nine animal symbols, and we've just given you two of them, the whale and the crab. Each of them symbolizes a good or bad kind of communication, so you put yourself in the role of a parent where instead of giving another lecture, you just have to say whales or crabs or tortoise or whatever these other animals are. Now, let me tell you where to find these because I think this will really help you within your family, with your children. Go to valuesparenting.com, and there's just five clicks on the top of that page in Values Parenting. Go to VP Membership. And then under that, you'll find something called free previews. And when you click on that, then it'll say nurturing a secret family code. And when you click on that, it'll get into these various animals, and it'll give you three right off the top, the whales, the geese, and the elephant. And it'll tell you what each of those mean. We will put that website on our on our section at BYU Radio so you can go there if you can't remember the instructions I've just given on values parenting. And we'd like you as a, as a parent to consider establishing kind of a little secret code for communication within your family where just one word will replace a whole lecture on not arguing or on being courteous to each other or not tearing each other down or being supportive of one another. Because these are things that should become habits within families, and these little animal symbols may help you to make that a more useful habit within your family. So we're closing off for this week, but we wish you the very, very best in having some better communication in our families this week. We'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening in. Bye-bye. 